You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show with Gavin Walker coming right up. Do 
Once again, we would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR. And of course, we're located right out here at the UBC campus on unceded Musqueam territory. And we broadcast over FM 101.9, and we're also heard on the web, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and... We have um, a great variety of music to play for you this evening, including a tribute to one of the great drummers. It's amazing how many drummers in jazz, great drummers, were born under the sign of Capricorn. And I'm talking about Gene Krupa, uh, Sid Catlett, um, people like Kenny Clark, and a gentleman who had his birthday yesterday, or his birthday anniversary, the great Max Roach. And we'll be hearing something from Mr. Roach a little later on in the show after the jazz feature. As a matter of fact, it was recorded at the jazz workshop, and I wasn't there the, the night of the recording, but I was there for two nights to hear that incredible band that uh, was led by Mr. Roach. It's just a quartet. But the music was some of the most powerful music I've ever heard. And uh, we're going to hear that, um, or at least one piece from um, that date at the Jazz Workshop in San Francisco that took place in October of 1962. And uh, that's going to be our tribute to Max Roach. But tonight on the Jazz Feature, we're going to venture into the unknown, I know, it sounds like, okay, we're going to go out to outer space or something like that, but this is a recording that not even Sean Penn would ever know about, if you know what I mean. This is a recording that has never been issued, and it's not even listed in most of the world's great discographies. The only place that I know is that it's listed in, in a discography, is one of the most comprehensive ones, and it's done by my good friend Tom Lord, uh, whose discography is online, so it's updated almost every day, and he's in touch with the world, uh, collectors, musicians, people like that, so he keeps that discography up to date, and it's online, so he, he can, it's not like it's in a book, um, he can update it daily, which he does. So it is listed there. But it's a, 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 a totally unknown session, and I know that uh, more than likely none of you have ever heard. You may have heard the band, but you've never heard this particular session. And before I even talk about it, I'd just like to thank my good friend, Jazz Sleuth, dedicated jazz fan, and uh, someone who has uh, turned me on to a lot of uh, very obscure recordings over the years, my good friend Ron Hearn. And he uh, discovered this and made this recording available to me to present to you. Now, what I got from Ron was basically the whole session, and it involves a couple of hours, and it involves... um, takes that were stopped, false starts, uh, musicians making mistakes, um, lots of studio talk, all this kind of stuff. Um, Very interesting, of course, 
but not something that you want to broadcast for a couple of hours because it would be kind of boring for a lot of people to hear uh, a tune um, by a band. They go over and over and over again, and then they finally uh, make a complete take and then decide that that's not the one they want and repeat it again, that sort of thing. And all the little studio conversation exchanges between the musicians and uh, um, all this, all this kind of stuff. But it is very interesting. So I have picked what I think are the six master takes from this uh, unissued Blue Note recording session by one of the greatest jazz groups ever. And I'm talking about Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. This particular edition and this session was held at the Rudy Van Gelder Studio, March the 8th, 1959. And the reason this session was not used or issued is that Blakey informed Alfred Lyon, who was the head honcho of Blue Note Records, that they were going into Birdland in the next month with the same band for a couple of weeks. And Lyon said, you know, that may be an idea. Maybe I should go there and record you guys at Birdland. And Blakey said, well, we love to play there. For Birdland was one of the great jazz clubs in New York City, and it was almost a second home for Art Blakey. And he was always welcome there. And his music was, too, uh, various incarnations of the jazz messengers. So Blakey sort of said, yeah, well, we always really enjoy our stay there and so on. I think it would be a good idea. So what happened was that the Birdland date took place in the next month, and they recorded there. And Alfred Lyon made the choice to release the live Birdland recordings. And those are now classics. And he released them on two LPs. And, of course, years later, they came out on a double CD set. So what happened was that this session was rendered moot. And it was totally forgotten, left in the vaults. And that was it. Never heard from again. We're going to hear it tonight. We're going to hear the studio session, which took place a month before the live Birdland recordings. So it wasn't rejected because of the music. It was only rejected because they, the same band recorded basically the same material live a month later, and that's what they decided to release. So that's the story behind this, and this is why it's, it's a very obscure session. No one knows about it. There are a couple of tunes on here that never did appear on the live dates, um, which is very interesting as well. They may have been played there, but they weren't released or recorded. So it's kind of a treat. Interestingly enough, this was one of the best editions of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. Hank Mobley, the great tenor saxophonist who also wrote and arranged, had just rejoined the band. He had taken Benny Golson's place in the band. Benny Golson was with the band for about six months, and Benny, with his talents, not only on tenor saxophone, but his arranging abilities and composing abilities, raised the band's level by a hundredfold and also brought in all the people that you're going to hear on this date, 
because Blakey had decided to completely revamp the band, and, and all these people were hired at Benny Golson's suggestion. So um, then Benny left, and Hank Mobley, who had been previously in the Jazz Messengers, and then later on uh, he, uh, Hank Mobley joined Horace Silver's band for a time and joined Max Roach's band for a, a time and also freelanced, Hank Mobley came back into the Jazz Messengers. Now, his playing had evolved and changed. Hank Mobley was a um, uh, saxophone player, as may be very interested to know this, but Hank had changed mouthpieces on his saxophone. Everyone knows Hank Mobley's early style, kind of almost a soft sound that he had, a soft, even, round sound. Now, he still retained that sound, but with this new mouthpiece, which is an auto-link metal mouthpiece with an open facing, Hank Mobley's sound changed, and it became uh, much harder and much more aggressive, and yet it was still very much Hank Mobley's sound. That's what you're going to hear on this record. So I talk about Mr. Mobley because he is the musical director of this band. Blakey always appointed someone to be musical director, and of course, Hank was the man with his composing and arranging abilities. Now, the people, other people involved in the band, 20-year-old Lee Morgan, who is absolute phenomenal of the trumpet. And by this time, Lee Morgan had really got his style together. No one else was playing like Lee Morgan. And his uh, bent notes, his smears uh, um, on the trumpet, and his humor, and his incredible uh, technique and his very declarative sound. Really, this was when Lee Morgan became a major, major trumpet player and a great influence on all trumpet players after him. On piano, a gentleman that Art Blakey always used to introduce as the incomparable Bobby Timmons at the piano. This is a gentleman who, could, uh, who was actually raised in the church. So he played, as a kid, he played a lot of church music, hymns and all that kind of stuff, and sort of gospel stuff in the church. Um, and he combines, Bobby Timmons combines that church stuff with a Bud Powell-like concept. And uh, he can only sound like the one and only Bobby Timmons, one of the great exponents of the piano. On the bass... From Philadelphia is the least known jazz messenger, but one of the most important. And Art Blakey always introduced him as the workhorse of our organization. I'm talking about bassist Jimmy Merritt. And Jimmy Merritt is the only surviving member of this uh, stellar ensemble. A great bass player. He's still alive and well in Philadelphia. So that's the personnel. Lee Morgan on trumpet, Hank Mobley tenor saxophone, Bobby Timmons piano, Jimmy Merritt on bass, and of course the great fire stoker himself, Art Blakey on drums. Most of the tunes here are, with the exception of one, all of the tunes, as a matter of fact, are all composed by Hank Mobley. And we begin with um, his composition called Hip Sippy Blues. And I think you'll enjoy that. That's a great start to this session. Then the composition number two 
is entitled M&M, and it's not for the uh, chocolate-covered candies. It's, it stands for Mobley and Morgan. So there you go. M&M is composition number two. Composition number three is taken at a ridiculous tempo and features an incredible drum solo by Art Blakey and incredible playing by the whole band. And you'll understand the title. It's called Quick Trick. Tune number four is a very unique uh, Hank Mobley original called Jimrick. And uh, that's a neat tune as well. Neither of those tunes, Quick Trick and Jimrick, uh, ever showed up again on any recordings. So they're very rare Hank Mobley compositions. Tune number five is the only standard of the set, and it's a great tune arranged by Hank Mobley and written by a lady named Bernice Petkere. And it's a standard tune, a very good one, too, and it's called Close Your Eyes. Great tune. And the final tune, again, is a Hank Mobley original, which is very much like its title and a great way to end the session. It's called Just Coolin'. So that's the session, this rare recording you're going to hear for the first time, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, It's tremendous playing by all. So here, then, is the rarest of the rare, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, our jazz feature tonight. Thank you. 
And that's our jazz feature this evening. Six tunes from this never-before-issued Art Blakey and the Jazz Messenger set. And as I mentioned before, it wasn't because of the music that it was unissued. It was that they recorded a month later with the same band live at Birdland, and it was decided to issue those tracks, not because those uh, tunes were better, but, um, well, the decision was made because live recordings were beginning to uh, flood the jazz market, and uh, this session became forgotten, uh, never used, and was lost in the vaults. And once again, I thank my good friend, uh, jazz sleuth, and great jazz fan, Ron Hearn, for uh, unearthing this session, uh, which I have, um, as I said, it's a couple of hours of music with uh, false starts, um, short takes, um, going over tunes, etc., etc., about two hours worth of uh, stuff, um, and lots of studio conversation, repartee between the musicians and so on. Uh, and I picked out three uh, or six of the uh, what I would consider master takes uh, from this session to uh, present it a coherent form. So we heard, of course, the great Art Blakey on drums with the wonderful 20-year-old phenomena of the trumpet, Lee Morgan, the musical director of this band. He had replaced Benny Golson, and, of course, he had the same abilities, arranger, composer, and great tenor saxophonist, Mr. Hank Mobley. And on piano, Bobby Timmons, and on bass, Jimmy Merritt. This was all recorded at Rudy Van Gelder's studios on March the 8th, 1959. And we heard mostly all Hank Mobley compositions, uh, except for one standard tune. So we opened with his Hip Sippy Blues. I love the title. The second tune was called Eminem, which actually stood for Mobley and Morgan. And tune number three, this is the only recording I know of this particular tune, up-tempo, very up-tempo uh, blues, entitled Quick Trick. And it featured an amazing drum solo, of course, by Art Blakey. Um, another tune that I never heard except for this session, another Hank Mobley composition, was a tune called Jimrick. And so that was the next tune. Then we moved to the standard tune. And uh, as I mentioned before, Hank Mobley had uh, just begun to use an auto-link metal mouthpiece. Uh, he had been using a hard rubber mouthpiece before that of a different variety. And he was still getting used to it, but it changed his sound, uh, gave him a, a much harder kind of sonority. But uh, there were still times where he... Uh, um, squeaked occasionally because he wasn't used to the mouthpiece and it had a different feel to it. And um, Hank Mobley rarely squeaked, but he, he did on this track. But it was cool. Uh, these things happen. The tune, uh, the standard tune, Close Your Eyes. And the final tune was again another Hank Mobley composition wrapping up the session, and it was entitled appropriately enough, Just Coolin'. So Mr. Henry Mobley, yes, from 
Originally from Georgia and raised in Newark, New Jersey, one of the major voices of the tenor saxophone and a great composer. He could, he could write tunes in the studio. He'd just scribble them down, hand them to the musicians with all their parts written out, and, uh, and they'd play them. That so often happened. That's the kind of man uh, Hank Mobley was. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this unissued rare session by Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, one of his finest editions. And, of course, the next tenor saxophonist to take Hank Mobley's place in this band uh, very briefly was Barney Willen um, from, from France. Uh, but he didn't stay very long because he wanted to go back to France, and he was replaced by Wayne Shorter. And Wayne stayed with the band for many years and, of course, brought his compositional ability into the band. And um, as I said, Art Blakey was very much on his way with this uh, particular edition of the Jazz Messengers. So I hope you enjoyed our jazz feature this evening. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, broadcasting right out here at the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca, and my name is Gavin Walker. Before we get into uh, some music by the great Max Roach, live at the Jazz Workshop in San Francisco, I'd just like to play you a couple of tunes from this wonderful album by guitarist Kenny Burrell that he recorded with the great father of the tenor saxophone, Coleman Hawkins. We're going to hear two tunes from this album. It's called Bluesy Burrell, and it came out on uh, Prestige Records, their Moodsville um, subdivision. And it features Tommy Flanagan on piano, and one of the most wonderful bass players around, Major Hawley, always loved his playing. Amazing bass player. Eddie Locke on drums and Ray Barreto on conga drums. And, of course, Mr. Burrell on guitar and the father of the tenor saxophone, Coleman Hawkins. We're going to hear two tunes. The first tune is uh, um, a favorite with uh, Latinos. It's a tune written by Osvaldo Ferraz, and it's called Tres Palabras. And the second tune was written by Kenny Burrell, and it's called Montono Blues. Thank you. 
Those two tracks are for, from a wonderful album called Bluesy Burrell. Kenny Burrell with Coleman Hawkins. And, of course, Mr. Burrell on guitar, Coleman Hawkins on tenor saxophone. Tommy Flanagan at the piano, Major Holly on bass, Eddie Locke on drums, and Ray Barreto on conga drums. Two tunes. First one was called Tres Palabras, and the second one was a Kenny Burrell composition called Montano Blues. Yeah, that's a nice album. I always li- I've always liked that one, nice and relaxed and kind of puts you in a more relaxed mood. We're going to be hearing from uh, some music by the great drummer Max Roach uh, in a very few moments. We have a couple of announcements to make. Of course, once again, you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Gavin Walker's my name. This is The Jazz Show. And uh, all right, we've got a couple of messages for you, and we shall return momentarily. to CITR's Shindig each week to hear the bands duke it out to be the winner of their night. Now, come out to hear the winners compete to make it to the finals. Each semi will feature three of your past winners, with the winners of the semifinals guaranteed a place and a prize in February's final. The first semi is happening on Tuesday, January 12th, featuring the winners from nights 1, 3, and 9, the new National Film Board of Canada, Echuda, and the Psychic Alliance. So come out to Pat's Pub and Brew House at 403 East Hastings at 8 for locally made beer, pool, music, and an epic night. Cover $6 at the door and the show is 19 plus. Check out CITR on Facebook or on Twitter at CITR Shindig for all the details. English Students Association is hosting the Colloquium, their second annual conference, on Saturday, January 30th, from noon to 6 in the Dodson Room in the Irving K. Barber Learning Center. The Colloquium will feature presentations from English students as well as featured faculty presenters, including Dr. Robert Rouse, Dr. Tiffany Potter, and Dr. Adam Frank. Attendance to the curriculum is free and refreshments will be provided. So please visit the UBC English Students Association on Facebook in order to reserve your free ticket. Do you like friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends downtown, like 10% off at Bang On T-Shirts, Beat Street Records, Studio Records, Community Thrift and Vintage, The Fall Tattooing, and more. Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. Well, we've got some weather news for you. 
<laughs> I think you expect it anyway, because the weather news is basically going to be rain. Yeah, uh, we, we did have some nice cool weather, um, chilly nights, but sunny days. But those days are now gone with the wind. That's right. Rain tonight, ending this evening, and then 60% chance of a shower. <laughs> That's the official forecast. It means that the rain ain't going to stop, baby. So there you go, with a low of 6. Then tomorrow, rain and windy, uh, low of 6, high of 8. Wednesday, rain, low of uh, 5, high of 5. Not much variation in temperature. Thursday is... Uh, Thursday and Friday actually are a little better. There's still rain in the forecast, but only 40% chance of a shower. Cloudy both days, Thursday and Friday. Lows between 2 and 7. So that variation. Then on the weekend, hey, the exciting weekend. You're going to have to do everything indoors because rain and periods of rain for Saturday and Sunday. Temperatures down to 2 and highs up to about 7. So uh, there you go, wet yeah, and uh, and some wind as well. So uh, get those umbrellas working and all that kind of stuff. All right, back to music. Back to some incredible music, as a matter of fact, by Maxwell Lemuel Roach, who yesterday celebrated his birthday anniversary. He was born in North Carolina, raised in New York City, and, of course, became one of the pioneers of modern jazz and one of the great distinguished people uh, in jazz music. Um, Max Roach was um, a tower of strength. Um, he suffered a lot of tragedy in, in his life, uh, the death of some great musicians that he was involved with, um, well, like Charlie Parker, for instance, because uh, he was really, um, along with Charlie Parker, Max Roach was a pioneer of modern jazz. But, of course, in his own band, he lost young Clifford Brown, who killed in a car crash. Um, in, and Clifford was only 26, one of the most promising musicians ever to come along in the jazz spectrum. And then later on, uh, his trumpeter, Booker Little, uh, passed away at age 23 from uremic poisoning. And um, uh, it's just one of those unfortunate things. And, and, and Booker Little recorded very little, but he was really, um, no pun intended, by the way, um, Booker Little was really the Wynton Marcellus of his day, a virtuoso trumpet player who could play any kind of music. And uh, it was so sad and so horrifying for Max Roach to have that happen to two of his um, constituents. And, of course, uh, other things in his life as well. But Max Roach was... Uh, Later on became, uh, uh, and still, even in those days, despite all those setbacks, there was, there was an air of uh, dignity about Mr. Roach, that, um, and yet he was very approachable and, and, and very funny. Some people were afraid of, of Max because he was so regal. Um, and behind the drums, he, w he was wonderful to watch because he, was all, he had the, the, the beauty and the grace almost. A, a friend of mine, I remember... Um, we were sitting watching this very, well, one of the evenings when this band was playing at the jazz workshop, and a buddy of mine, a drummer, uh, uh, my best friend uh, at the time, Eddie Moore, the drummer, he, he, he looked, Eddie looked at me and he says, you know, Max, 
He said, you know what he looks like? He looks like one of those beautiful ballet dancers behind the drums. He said, he's so graceful, unbelievable, and, and so regal and, uh, and authoritative. Um, it, it was quite something to, to watch and to feel his, his, his presence in the room. I mean, I've seen so many great drummers and, and worked with some great drummers, but Max Roach was just somebody very, very special. And um, he is missed to this day. Round about 1959, Max Roach changed his approach to music and said that he was never, ever going to play anything that didn't have social significance. Uh, an album by Max Roach is going to be um, a jazz feature album next month uh, because it's Black History Month. And um, after 1959, Max Roach's albums became very political because he chose that was the way to go, and yet they were extremely musical. Sometimes when music turns political, it loses its musicality. Max Roach's music never did, um, but that's, that was his motivation. And this was the motivation on this album. I was, as I said, I was in attendance, not this particular evening when this, um, when this set was recorded, for uh, debut records and issued uh, oh, a couple of years later. Uh, but I was there for two of the evenings at the jazz workshop. I would not miss this band for the world. And um, I met Mr. Roach for the first time and one of my all-time favorite tenor saxophonists, Clifford Jordan. And uh, I didn't really have uh, an extended conversation with, with either of them. But a friend of mine was playing bass in the band and someone who I knew a little better, Eddie Kahn. And Eddie Kahn is the bass player. And uh, he introduced me to Mel Waldron, and Mel sat down at our table and, uh, and chatted about how terrible the piano was at the jazz workshop. And I said, how can you put up with that, man? And he said, ah. He said, that's the way it is in jazz clubs. He said, I just kind of put that out. He's, and he said, I just play. He said, because you have to do that. There's nothing you can do. And at the jazz workshop, uh, the owner, Art Auerbach, uh, was actually very friendly to musicians. But, and what happened was that he did buy this piano, and he was told over the years to replace the damn thing because he would get it tuned, but it would only last about two days and, uh, because in, in the playing, and then the piano would go back to its old tinny self again. And and Auerbach didn't want to spend the money and have a tuner in every couple of days. It would cost him a fortune. So he everybody told him, piano players, drummers, saxophone players, everybody said, just replace the damn piano. And he wouldn't. It was, um, uh, he brought it, it belonged to his family, and, and uh, somehow he had some sort of sentimental attachment to the piano. It was a very nice, it was a nice looking grand, although it got beaten up in the club, of course. Cigarette burns and, and, and uh, yellowed keys and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, that's the piano in the jazz workshop, but that was typical of the piano in a lot of jazz clubs. Anyway, this was some of the most powerful music I had, I had ever heard, uh, and, and I was so happy to be there for two nights to hear the band play this, and I did hear them play this piece of music that we're going to hear. Once again, the personnel here, Clifford Jordan on tenor saxophone, Mel Waldron, the great Mel Waldron on piano, Eddie Kahn on bass, 
who was actually a former tenor saxophonist, lived in San Francisco for many years, and taught himself the bass. Um, he got, he uh, came down with TB and had to give up playing the saxophone and picked up the bass once, once he came out of the hospital, picked up the bass and learned it on his own and is a super heavy bass player and a nice man. I always enjoyed uh, my conversations with Eddie Kahn. And, of course, Mr. Max Roach on drums. This, as Max says, the music on this album was created to mirror the street rallies and meetings that exist today, meaning in the early 60s in the ghetto areas of the large cities in the USA, such as the Fillmore District in San Francisco, traditionally uh, an African-American district, the south side of Chicago, Harlem in New York, to mention a few. At these street rallies or meetings, people of all walks of life have an opportunity to express themselves vocally on their impressions of the state of the nation as related to themselves culturally, socially, economically, and politically. Speak, Brother, Speak is based on a blues progression with a suspended interlude to introduce each soloist, i.e. speaker. The meter and the tempo changes serve as subject material for the soloist, i.e. the speaker. That is words by Max Roach describing the piece of music you're going to hear, recorded at the Jazz Workshop in, in San Francisco on October 22nd, 27th, 1962. And here we go with Speak, Brother, Speak.
recorded at the Jazz Workshop in San Francisco, October 27th, 1962. And that was a piece of music based on the blues called Speak, Brother, Speak, and played by the great Max Roach on drums, leading Clifford Jordan on tenor saxophone, Mel Waldron on piano, and Eddie Kahn on bass. And, of course, each of those movements um, featuring the uh, various soloists in the band and, of course, ending with this fantastic drum solo by Max Roach. Some very powerful music, and I certainly hope you enjoyed it. We'll be hearing more from Mr. Roach next month on Black History Month. And, of course, Max lived a good long life, um, very distinguished gentleman and one of the greatest living one of the greatest of all jazz drummers. <laughs> I can't say he's living anymore, but his music is certainly living. And uh, he recorded uh, quite prolifically, and um, his drum styling is still being studied by so many people. And he influenced whole generations of musicians. Max Roach celebrated his birthday yesterday. January 10th. As I mentioned before, a lot of the great drummers in jazz music were all born under the sign of Capricorn. It's kind of interesting. I remember a good friend of mine who was really into astrology um, uh, told me stuff like that, and um, years later it kind of sunk in. And, oh, yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah, right. You know, how, I wonder how come. <laughs> Whatever. Anyhow, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM. 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we'll be right back. We're going to take you back in time. We're going to listen to some Benny Goodman and his big band, not the small groups. Well, maybe we'll get, we might get into a couple of tunes by his quartet or trio, but uh, this kind of features his wonderful big band, which was one of the best um, jazz dance bands of its day. And uh, we're going to hear some prime broadcast recordings that were uh, done back in around about 1937. And this is good stuff. And it features one of the great drummers in jazz music, a Capricorn, a gentleman who really put the drums on the map, became a superstar in those days, Gene Krupa. And he was Benny's drummer. And he was a Capricorn. There you go. For a taste of the classics with a twist, join me, Marguerite, with Classical Chaos Sunday mornings starting at 9, right here on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver, Canada. Do you like friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends on Commercial Drive, like 10% off at Stormcrow Tavern, High Life Records, Audio Pile, Mintage Clothing, and more. Visit citr.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest.
You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkamenem-speaking Musqueam people. Benny Goodman, one of the great icons of jazz music, one of the finest clarinet players ever to pick up that instrument, and of course one of the great band leaders. And uh, during this is all during the day when jazz music was really popular music. This is what everybody listened to. Uh, unlike today, where jazz is, is kind of relegated uh, as a specialty music for people of particular tastes, <laughs> or peculiar tastes, <laughs> as the case may be. Um, but back in the 30s, jazz was popular music, and that was the only time when it really was. But the thing is, is that the country, North America, was full of these wonderful big ballrooms where big bands played. And uh, you had various styled bands. You had jazz bands like Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Benny Goodman. And you had your Mickey Mouse bands that played sort of softer, kind of more romantic music. You, you wouldn't call them jazz bands, but they all featured, you know, saxophones and trumpets and so on. They, we called them, uh, there were sort of a, uh, there was a dividing line. There were, there were jazz bands, uh, as I mentioned, uh, and the other ones were called sweet bands. And they played a, a softer form. Uh, but people danced to both of these bands. And uh, really, more people preferred the jazz bands because you could really dance to them. Um, but the thing is, the jazz bands were so good and they had so many great soloists in the band that people would stop in the middle of the dance floor to hear some great trumpet solo or clarinet solo or drum solo or, or something or saxophone solo. Um, so these were uh, uh, the ballrooms were almost like um, concert halls without the seats. Uh, uh, they had the dance floor instead. But sometimes the music was so riveting that, that people would actually stop dancing and just, holy smoke, who was that? <laughs> and, of course, back in those days, uh, I remember my, uh, my uncles telling me that you could, you know, they, people would recognize the soloist. They, they knew the difference between, say, Harry James or Bunny Berrigan or Roy Eldridge um, uh, or Red Allen. Uh, trumpet players like that, they, 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 they listened somehow. There was an acuteness rather than just having the music sort of in the background with, with the beat. They actually listened to the music. Uh, you know, people, I, I'm not saying that people don't do that today, but it is a little different. Anyway, these were all recorded live at various ballrooms throughout the country. Uh, these pieces of music uh, we're going to hear with the Benny Goodman Band. Uh, all recorded around in 1937. They're, they're what they called air checks because the, the band did uh, radio shows that were broadcast from various places. And Benny's band, of course, was filled with uh, great stars uh, of the day, great musicians. And uh, we have uh, on clarinet, of course, Mr. Goodman. What a trumpet section. Harry James, Ziggy Elman, and... Chris Griffin, three great trumpet players. And Harry James, of course, was uh, probably the leading soloist in the band. Two great trombone players, Red Ballard and Marie McEachran, who was actually a Canadian. There you go. 
On alto saxophone, a buddy of Benny's and lead alto, Jaime Scherzer. On lead alto saxophone, George Koenig on second. And uh, two soloists in the band, Arthur Rollini and Vito Musso on tenor saxophones. On piano, Jess Stacy on rhythm guitar, Alan Roos. On bass, Benny's brother. He came from a huge family, and most, most of them were all musicians. Harry Goodman on bass, Benny's brother. And on drums, of course, the fabulous Gene Krupa. So we're going to hear a whole bunch of tunes, uh, beginning with Jelly Roll Morton's The King Porter Stomp. And we'll just continue, and I'll tell you all the tunes after we listen to a whole bunch of them. So we begin with this one, and it's great. Check it out.
Well, we just heard a whole bunch of things by the great Benny Goodman Orchestra from about 1937, all broadcast recordings from different ballrooms in different parts of uh, America. And we heard about a half a dozen tunes. If you heard a clarinet, of course, it was Benny Goodman soloing. If you heard a trumpet, it was Harry James. And if you heard a tenor saxophone, it was uh, usually either Arthur Rollini or Vito Musso. And, um, of course, on drums, driving the band was the great Gene Krupa. And uh, he was just uh, fired up the band uh, at all times. So we heard a great arrangement uh, opening with uh, Fletcher, um, Fletcher Henderson's arrangement of Jelly Roll Morton's King Porter Stump. And we went to another tune called Minnie the Moochers' Wedding Day, written by Ted Kohler and Harold Arlen. Another uh, Fletcher Henderson arrangement. He did many, many for the Goodman Band. And then we heard a, a great rendition of the St. Louis Blues by W.C. Handy. And then a tune called Life Goes to a Party, which was actually written by Harry James for the band. And um, great piece of music as well. Then we move to uh, a piece of uh, music, a slower piece of music, called Sometimes I'm Happy. And again, a Fletcher Henderson arrangement, uh, essentially featuring the saxophone section, kind of a sweet tune. And we ended with Mary Lou Williams' great tune, Rollum. And, of course, uh, the, band, the band really cooked, and, of course, the crowd gets so excited, and they're dancing their buns off on the, on the dance floor to that one. Benny Goodman and his orchestra. We haven't quite finished with Benny yet. We're going to play a few uh, quartet items. Um, that I always loved the little quartet, and we're going to hear just a selection, two or three items by the quartet that featured, um, and they were always, uh, after the big band uh, took a break, Benny would come back with the quartet, and people in, uh, in these ballrooms would, would actually sit down and, and listen because some of the tempos that the quartet played were, <laughs> were pretty up, pretty hard to dance to. But it, th- this was more sort of the artistic listening concert size uh, side of Benny Goodman. And, of course, that's why he carried the small band with him. And uh, we have in the quartet, of course, the great Lionel Hampton on vibes, Teddy Wilson on piano, and, of course, the always present and wonderful Gene Krupa on drums, and, of course, Mr. Goodman on clarinet. We're going to open this section with a a few quartet tunes, beginning with this one, and it's an old standard from the early 30s uh, called Shine. Here we go. Quartet.
Some choice pieces by the great Benny Goodman Quartet, one of the great small groups ever in jazz history. And, of course, we went back to 1937 for those recordings. Once again, they're broadcast recordings. And um, as I said, the Benny Goodman Orchestra would play, and then they'd take a break, and the, uh, the quartet or trio 
would uh, would come on stage and deliver some music, and the people would sit down and, and listen concert style. And um, so we heard three choice tunes by the quartet, and of course Goodman on clarinet, Benny, and Lionel Hampton on vibes, Teddy Wilson on piano, and the great Gene Krupa driving everything along on drums. And we opened with a, a tune written in the early 30s called Shine. Then we moved to a tune that was actually written around... Um, 1915, <laughs> it goes back almost 100 years, a tune called My Gal Sal. And that was one of the best quartet performances. They, they really hit something on that one. And the final tune was an original by the band called, uh, and it was an expression of the day when uh, something was really hot. You said it was a killer diller. And uh, it sounds kind of corny today, obviously, but uh, back then that was a pretty hip expression. And that was the title of the last tune, um, sort of uh, co-composed by everybody in the band. So there you go. Some choice, Benny Goodman. I thought we'd take you back in time and to the uh, 1930s to hear, hear this great musician and his uh, two aggregations, the big band and the quartet. We're going to change the pace and play you some nice piano trio music, but I'd like to mention a couple of websites uh, to check out. First of all, just to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. This is The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. We hope that uh, you're enjoying the show and couple of great websites. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of them if you're um, into jazz and into following uh, the music around town. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. They are producers of the Jazz Festival. And, of course, um, they program a lot of great music throughout the year. They don't sleep. And uh, there's always great music down at uh, Frankie's as well on Beatty Street. That's uh, Frankie's Italian Kitchen. Of course, they feature music on the weekend. And that's, um, that is um, collated, the people that come there, by Corey Weeds, who, of course, is now in the employ of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And he's the musical uh, director. He does all the hiring at uh, Frankie's Italian Kitchen as well. So uh, Corey has kind of uh, replaced the cellar that he ran for so many years with Frankie's and is doing an incredible job, and the place is doing a roaring business. So Jazz Lives in Vancouver. And, of course, you can find out all the happenings, all the happenings on this particular website, and that's the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. It's coastaljazz.ca. You can purchase tickets. You can make reservations at Frankie's. You can do all that stuff. It's all on there. It's all very friendly and very um, user-friendly. That's, that's the word I wanted. And the other website, of course, that I always mention is uh, put together by my old friend Brian Nation, that's also an extremely interesting website, musical, uh, musicians, biographies, all, all sorts of things, comments, uh, different links, and that's vancouverjazz.com. So that's, that's a good one. And, uh, I, of course, I mentioned my good friend Ken Speller as well. He is a music instructor, and he does a business called Music at Home. If you want to learn the saxophone, the flute, the clarinet, phone Ken. 
and he actually comes to your house, and uh, he will advise you what instruments to buy if you're just getting started or if you're already into music and want to expand your skills. Uh, he's the guy to do it. And a uh, very, very good teacher and also a very, very good musician himself. And those of you that need repairs on your instrument and saxophones and flutes, clarinets have a lot of moving parts. They need repairs all the time. Ken Speller's the guy to do it. He doesn't operate out of a store. He operates out of his home. He has his workshop right in his home so he doesn't have the overhead. And he keeps his prices very reasonable. So he's a good guy to know. And he's at 778-800-1933. 778-800-1933. Or kspeller underscore at yahoo.ca. I, once again, kspeller underscore, uh, I think I've, I've got that right. I should know it by now. I've said it hundreds of times, and I, uh, I just have to uh, <laughs> review it, um, and I'll, I'll find it. Yes, all right, here it is. All right, it's K Speller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14, that's what I forgot, at yahoo.ca, K Speller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Yeah, I should have remembered that, but I guess, you know, there's holes in the old brain, and sometimes you can't remember everything. So there you go. All right. We're going to turn now to this great gentleman, sadly departed, one of the finest musicians from Europe. He was, um, he was from uh, a part of Spain, that uh, is still seeking uh, independence, um, and they are very independent. They, they speak a different language than um, uh, other people in Spain. He's, he's from uh, Catalonia in Spain, very proud of it as well. His name was Tete Montoliu, and Tete is just the most incredible piano player you're ever likely to hear. Um, and... He did make a few appearances in North America, but he should have been a lot better known. Had he been uh, a resident of New York City, of course, he would have been one of the leading pianists in that city. Uh, he could do anything, accompany people. And amazingly enough, Tete was sightless. Uh, he was blind, and uh, he just had this wonderful touch at the piano. We're going to hear a couple of pieces, maybe three pieces by Tete. Um, it, this is from an album entitled Tutti's Tempo because the drummer on here is the young, younger uh, Heath brother or the youngest Heath brother, Albert, Albert Tutti Heath. Uh, Niels Pedersen on bass, uh, Niels Orsted uh, Pedersen, the great Danish bass player, and Tete Montalio at the piano. We opened with uh, Branislaw Capers' great tune. It's been played to the death, but this is a, a, a very fresh-sounding version of Invitation. Here's Tete.
We heard three tunes by the great Spanish pianist from Barcelona, Tete Montaliu. And um, he was born the 26th of March, 1933, and died in August 24th of 1997. He was only 64 years old. Tete was played with virtually everybody that came to Europe. And uh, he was first call pianist, and he did, fortunately, a huge number of albums. Tete um, learned piano. Uh, he was born blind, and uh, he learned piano, went to a special school in Barcelona, and, of course, took to the piano and virtually lived in a world of sound. And uh, was such a uh, warm and yet very, very sophisticated pianist Tete Montalio on piano with Nils Hennig Orsted Pedersen, the great Danish bass player, and Albert Tutti Heath on drums. And this album is dedicated to Albert Heath, and it's called Tutti's Tempo. And we heard three tunes from that album Bronislaw Caper's Invitation, J.J. Johnson's very beautiful Lament. And the final tune was a, a Montalio original dedicated to Tootie Heath and called simply Tootie's Temple, the title track of the album. We're going to turn to the music of Stan Getz at this point. This is a very special quintet. This was the last uh, time this particular quintet got together, but they had been uh, together for about a year and a half with basically the same personnel. And they did a lot of recordings. Uh, Stan was living in Los Angeles at the time. And uh, they did lots of recordings. Uh, they were based there. They had long-standing gigs. This was recorded um, the day after Stan's very famous uh, concert at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. And he took the band into the recording studio to do uh, this studio session on November 9th, 1954. And Stan was in particularly wonderful form. He had such a magical sound on the tenor saxophone. His sound changed over the years, but I love the sound that he had from this period. Uh, he was using a white Brillhart mouthpiece, uh, plastic mouthpiece at the time, and uh, achieved uh, such a unique sound on the tenor saxophone. He's here with his co-partner Bob Brookmeyer on valve trombone, the wonderful Johnny Williams on piano. Now, he's not the guy that writes the movie scores. This is uh, Johnny Williams' pianist from um, Vermont, and a, a very different guy, and one of my favorite pianists from this period, and uh, a rather obscure musician, undeservedly so. Bill Anthony on bass, and uh, another obscure but great musician uh, who was prominent for a few years on the jazz scene from Detroit, Frank Azola on drums. We're going to hear two tunes. The first one is a tune written by Count Basie and Jimmy Monday, and it's a blues. It's called Feather Merchant. And the second tune is a great standard tune that uh, this band loved to play, and the tune is entitled Flamingo. So here, then, is the legendary Stan Getz Quintet.
Two tracks by the legendary Stan Getz Quintet. This was their uh, 
last get-together, and it's uh, recorded in the studio in Los Angeles, November 9th, 1954, the day after Stan's famous Shrine Auditorium concert. And uh, the band, of course, sounding beautifully, they, they, they played together for about a year and a half, basically the same guys, and so there was a chemistry between everyone. The music just flowed, and Stan had that... Um, magical sound on the tenor saxophone, along with Bob Brookmeyer on valve trombone, Johnny Williams on piano, Bill Anthony on bass, and Frank Izzola on drums. We heard two tunes, uh, one by Count Basie and Jimmy Mundy called Feather Merchant, which is blues, and the second tune was uh, one of Stan's favorites and, and Brookmeyer's favorite of the time, a tune called Flamingo. And it was their sort of rendition of that old standard, played beautifully by both the whole band, Flamingo. All right, Stan Getz, one of our great musicians, passed away today. Uh, uh, not today. I'm not talking about David Bowie. Yes, he was a great mu- a great musician and a great pop music icon. We lo- we've been losing so many people. Pierre Boulez, the the classical composer and conductor, and, um, and, and Paul Blay, the three Bs, Blay, Boulez, and, and Bowie. Kind of sad. Paul Blay was 83. Paul was a Canadian born in Montreal and, of course, is one of the most adventurous and uh, uncompromising artists that uh, Canada ever produced. Um, Paul Blay had a very, very different career. Someone compared him to Oscar Peterson, no comparison at all. Paul Blay took a very adventurous turn uh, in music. He was very capable of playing kind of straight-ahead, swinging jazz in in the Peterson vein, but uh, he moved toward more avant-garde music as the years went on and, of course, was an uncompromising musician. We're going to hear, uh, to close the show, a few tracks with an album uh, called Turning Point, which came out on uh, Improvising Artists' label. And Paul is the leader on piano with one of my favorite tenor saxophonists, John Gilmore, he had that great hollow kind of sound in the, on the tenor saxophone. Gary Peacock on bass and, and Paul Motion on drums. And we're going to hear some tunes, uh, mostly all of them written by uh, Paul's first wife, Carla Blay. And Carla, of course, is still very much with us. Paul uh, was born in Montreal November 10th, 1932, and uh, died in Florida, January 3rd, 2016. As I said, he was 83 years old. Anyway, this is prime Paul Blay, and uh, most interesting, and we'll end our show on this rather um, very modern and edgy note with the the music of Paul Blay and company, beginning with uh, a tune called Calls. Then we're going to go to uh, another Carla Blay composition called King Corn, And then finally, um, uh, tune number three will be a a famous tune by Carla Blay and a very appealing melody, and it's called Ida Lupino. Paul Blay. (laughs) 
three adventurous tunes to uh, end our show this evening with Canadian-born pianist Paul Blay, one of the great uh, forward thinkers in jazz music, born in Montreal in November 1933, passed away at age 83 uh, on January 3rd, and we heard him here with uh, the great John Gilmore on tenor saxophone, away from the Sun Ra Orchestra for a little while, Gary Peacock on bass, and Paul Motion on drums. And all of this was recorded in New York City on March 9th, 1964. Three tunes by Paul's wife, the great Carla Blay. And we opened the set with Calls. Then we moved to the tune number two, which is King Corn. And the final tune was Ida Lupino. Paul Blay. Ending the jazz show this evening, and we hope that you uh, were around for some of the music, and if you were here for the whole show, absolutely great. And uh, we'll return next Monday at 9 p.m. with more jazz music. Our jazz feature next week is going to be celebrating the birthday of another great Canadian musician, Don Thompson, whose birthday is January 18th. Next Monday will be January 18th. Don's birthday, and we're going to celebrate that with some of his uh, incredible music. So there you go. That's going to be the jazz feature next week, and uh, we'd like you to uh, join us, uh, if you will, and we'd be very happy to have you along, as a matter of fact, 9 p.m. every Monday for The Jazz Show. So on behalf of The Jazz Show and myself, Gavin Walker, and radio station CITR, FM 101.9, or on the web, www.citr.ca. You take care, stay out of the rain, and we'll see you in seven days' time. Bye-bye. Well, that's kind of strange. <laughs> you never know what happens with CDs. Sometimes they work, and sometimes they don't. Maybe we'll give that one a try again, just to take you out in, uh, in style. That's, of course, our theme song. Let's give it another shot. <laughs> Do but do do we will do we